If you have a Bible, open to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. I want us to read this passage. Verse 1, Paul writes, As a prisoner for the Lord. Wow. As a prisoner for the Lord. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one, each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave, gave gifts to men. Now what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he, now this is the gifts he's talking about. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love. As each part does its work. If you would in your Bibles underline that last phrase, as each part does its work. We're talking about grace as an overall subject these past weeks, and I want to continue on that, on that theme. And more particularly, we're talking about grace in the church. And just quickly, by way of review, I want to remind you of those things that characterize a gracious church. A gracious church would be a spirit-filled church. This is important because there's a lot of a lot of misunderstanding, I think, about what it means to be spirit-filled and what it means to be a, a spirit-filled church. And I suggested to you a couple of weeks ago that there are some, some things that definitely characterize a spirit-filled church, a gracious church. Spirit-filled church is not necessarily one that's going to roll in the aisles and bounce off the walls and all those kinds of things that, that are a caricature. There are much more substantial things that speak of the life of God in that church. Who recalls the first of those five characteristics of a spirit-filled church? Anybody recall? Joe, what's the first one? Was it? Acceptance. 
Remember we said accepted, uh, that a spiritual church, a gracious church, is one that's first of all what? A church that, that is, that's aware of their, the fact that they are accepted. Those people know that God accepts them. I'm accepted by God. Not based on my, on my, my education, my social standing, uh, any human qualifications, not based on good looks, not based on my stature in the, in the professional rankings and whatever. No, God accepts me. And I suggested to you, and I think that you will agree with me, that if you look into your own heart and life, that this, we have an insatiable need for acceptance. By that I mean that we will, and we find ourselves doing things, acting in certain ways, to be accepted, or to be acceptable, or to avoid being rejected, don't we? We jump through hoops, we smile at the proper time when we're expected to smile, we behave in a certain manner. Not necessarily because it's, what, it's what's uh, necessary in our heart, but it's because we want people to like us and accept us. And this need is insatiable. It's insatiable. It's always going to be with us as we're in this earth and in these earth suits. And it's only grace, God's grace, that fulfills that need to be accepted. God accepts me just the way I am. Not because of what I've done, but because of what Christ has done. Amen? His finished work on the cross, the fact that I believe Jesus died on that cross, he paid full price for my sins, he paid full price for your sins. We are sinners. We do fall short. We do sometimes deliberately fall short, and then we always fall short just because we're weak. I can't do, and I don't do the things I want to do. I wrestle with that. Why don't I do what I want to do? Why don't I love God with my whole heart? Why don't I serve Him with my whole heart? Why don't I love my neighbor as myself? Why can't I do that? Because I'm weak and a sinner. And while on one hand I recognize that, one on, on one hand I, I lament over that, on the other hand I draw great solace and comfort from the fact that God doesn't reject me because of that. He doesn't look at me and say, you wretch. He understands I'm, I'm dust. He's at work in my life. He wants me to come to him and trust him. Trusting him implies that I believe that he accepts me. Right, Johnny? Right? Does he accept you? Warts and all, right? Isn't that good news? That makes it easier for us to get up off the floor, doesn't it? But it also makes it easier for us to be, because I'm now accepted, and I know that, and I know that, and I can rest in that, now it makes it easier for me to take the focus off of me and be what? Accepting of somebody else. See, when you know what it is to be accepted, oh, man, it's such a good feeling. When you know what it is, now you know how, how, how it would feel to somebody else if they were accepted. Am I making sense? See, if you, if you struggle with this, you see it in your life in, in so many ways. I mean, just in one way. How, how, do you, how do you think? How do you behave? How do you react, if you will, when you think someone has rejected you or they're critical of you or they condemn you? 
what goes on inside of you. Well, it's not a pretty thing, is it, often? And that, that's just a signal that, that we have this, this need to be accepted. And when someone rejects me or someone criticizes me, I go, oh, oh. And again, it's a sign that I, it, it's about me again. It's all about me. I get, where do I go? I, I go take refuge. Where do I take refuge? In God. He accepts me in Christ. He covers me with his wings, doesn't he? So the first characteristic I suggested of a spirit-filled, of a gracious church, a gracious community of Christian people, is that they are accepted and they are accepting. And that opens the door automatically for our, our next characteristic. Who remembers what our next characteristic was? Openness and honesty. May I suggest to you that acceptance and honesty go hand in hand. Note that. Acceptance and honesty go hand in hand. James says in chapter 5, verse 16 of his letter, he says, confess your sins to each other. Right. (laughs) Sure, I'm going to confess my sins. Why are we reluctant to confess our sins, typically? Because if you really find out what I'm like, you're not going to what? Accept me, like me, value me, probably reject me, go, ooh, yuck. But if I truly am accepted and I sense that, and you exhibit that toward me, I'm going to be much more able to be open and honest and confess my sins. I don't have to put on the act. I don't have to pretend anymore. I can really begin to understand what it means to be free. Because when we don't confess our sins, we're, we're prisoners, aren't we? So do you see how critical this acceptance issue is? To know and to believe and to experience the reality of being accepted by God in Christ. That opens the door for this miraculous transformation that goes on in the life. I can be open, maybe, maybe for the first time in my life. I can tell you what's really going on where I really live, what my fears are, what my, what my secret sins are, what, the things that, that plague my life and keep me, keep me down. Is that important stuff? And then that, that leads us to the third of our five characteristics of a spiritual church. What was the third one? Giving and serving. Giving and serving. You see, grace doesn't just accept. Grace doesn't just accept. It acts. It acts. Notably, if you remember in John 3.16, anybody remember that verse? God so loved the world that he gave. And what did he give? He gave whatever he had laying around in heaven that was easy. Gave the old refrigerator. <laughs> Gave the old clothes. He looked around heaven and said, well, yeah, i got to give a sacrifice here. And, uh, I'll use that angel. Give an old angel. On the verge of retirement. <laughs> Disposable. No, what did he give? 
I mean, you, you've heard this, you know, the, what's the, what's the, uh, the slogan of the, the Hallmark card company? When you care enough, you send the, send the very best. Whew, man, does that just get you right there? You send the very best. When you care enough. God sent his very best, didn't he? Grace acts. Matthew's Gospel, we see an example of this in chapter 10, verse 8. Jesus has been teaching and ministering to his disciples, and he tells them now to go and to exhibit grace to people who don't deserve it. Go heal the sick, raise the dead. Indiscriminate. There's no, there's no qualifications. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Beloved, these are all marks of spirit-filled Christians. How do you know you're spirit-filled? Because you go, ooh. <laughs> no, you know how you know you're spirit-filled? You know how you know you are full of God's Spirit, the Holy Ghost, because you, you are accepted. You're at peace. You're not a performer to get acceptance. You are accepting. You're more and more open and honest. And you're giving and serving. Jesus said in Matthew's Gospel himself in chapter 20, verse 28, when he said that he came, came to what? Not to be served, but to serve. The very embodiment of the, of the grace of God. Remember in John's Gospel that he was full of grace and truth? The very embodiment of the grace of God came to serve. He didn't come to get. He came to serve. This is always a theme we have to be drawn back to. Drawn back to. Why do you go there? I go to serve. I go to serve. I go to be part. I go to input. I go to give. Well, I didn't get anything out of it. You went with the wrong motivation. We go to serve. We go to give. We go to participate. To add what God has built into us. Does that make sense? The fourth characteristic of a spirit-filled, grace-filled church. You've got a church that is accepted and accepting. You've got a church that is open and honest. You've got a church that is... Uh, giving and serving, that leads us to the fourth of our qualifications, our categories. Where are they? A church that's exercising what? Spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts. You see, as I start giving and serving, because I can now be open, because I'm finally accepted, you follow the, the, the dynamic there? As I start now stepping out in faith, giving and serving, now I begin to discover those unique gifts we call spiritual gifts that God has built into us. I don't discover them. I don't learn them. I don't realize them until I begin to step out and give and serve. It's always by faith. As I give myself to you, then, and only then, do I begin to really find out who and what I am. We've heard this. And many of us have 
experience this or involve ourselves this way. I'm just trying to find myself. I'm on a search, real profound, trying to find myself. Well, where'd you lose yourself? People do all sorts of things to find themselves. I mean, it's not complicated. You know how you find out who you are and what you are? You begin to give your life. You begin to serve. That's when you begin to discover who you are, what you are. And lastly, what was the fifth mark of a spiritual, spirit-filled, gracious church? Anybody remember? Yeah, fellowship, small groups, mini-church. We, we call it mini-church in our, in our fellowship. Small groups. You want to get together with Christians. <laughs> it's that simple. You understand the value of fellowship. You want to be together with like-minded, spirit-filled people. You want to be with them. You want to stay on fire. You don't want to be out there in the world. You want to be in the, the God's family. Built up strength and encouraged so you can go back out in the world and make a difference. You just kind of like God's people. Small groups, if you will. That's where grace life really grows. It doesn't necessarily grow in these large groups, but it's in the small groups where we get to know each other, where we can really exhibit uh, an acceptance, a caring attitude, where we can be open with one another, where that really does happen. And every one of us who've been in any kind of small group for any extended length of time, you know you've seen that dynamic happen. You've seen people gradually, gradually begin to test the water, stick their toe in. Can I be open? Can I, can I, will these people accept me? And, and they go through that whole paradigm. Isn't that true? It's in small groups. How do you know that you're spirit-filled? How do you know that you're really a Christian? Because I see these things clearly revenants in my life. I have a longing for these things. I, I see them in my life. I'm becoming a more accepting person. I'm becoming more open and honest. I find myself being more of a giver, more of a server. Less and less selfish, more and more selfless. I see God's gifting begin to flourish in my life. I'm I'm recognizing how he made me special, where I fit. And I love being with God's people. I love being with God's people. When I was a brand new Christian... I was invited, Joe and Lori Caesar were, were, were key in my life to, to involve me and, and invited me to their home, invited me to a Bible study that they were involved in. And, and they've been dear friends for 25 years almost. But they taught me the value of fellowship and, they, and, and, and I immersed myself in fellowship from practically day one. I mean, I was in this church every time the doors were open. I was in small groups, Bible studies. We didn't have many church back in those days, but I couldn't get enough fellowship. I'm still here <laughs> when the doors are open. <laughs> Acts chapter 2, verse 42, you recall what Luke wrote about that early church. They were devoted to, among other things, the fellowship. They were devoted to it. 
These are marks of a true spirit-filled Christian and a truly spirit-filled church. These are the things that we look for. This is how you know you're in a good, solid fellowship. They met daily in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They couldn't get enough fellowship. They knew they needed to be together. The writer to the Hebrews, you recall, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, warns those second century Christians. He says, don't give up meeting together. Don't abandon these fellowships. Don't go off and do your own thing. Some are in the habit of doing that. Don't do it. He says, but let us encourage one another. Oh, my. Who needs encouragement in their life? Man, every hand ought to go up, huh? Let us encourage one another, and all the more as we see the day coming. And there is a day, a specific day. But just every day can be rough, huh? Every one of us has a day. Oh, man, Friday's the day, Thursday's the day, Tuesday's the day. I've got to face my boss. I've got to face this. I gotta... It's a day, that capital D. Oh, we need encouragement. We need encouragement. Is any of this making sense? Sounds good, doesn't it? So in a, in a church where grace reigns, there'll, there'll be acceptance, there'll be openness, there'll be giving. But I want to I focus this morning and then next time I want to focus on this whole issue of the exercising of spiritual gifts. So I want to spend some time, camp out a little bit on this issue of spiritual gifting. Now, by spiritual gifts, what do I mean? Well, how many were born naturally with talents and abilities? Anybody? Just a few of you. Anybody else born with natural talents and abilities? So we were born with natural talents and abilities. All of us are uniquely different. We have these abilities. And it's just marvel. You just marvel at people who are gifted in all these different areas, don't you? Some are certainly more outstanding than others. And, and you just go, wow. And, and a lot of times what we do is we, we, we envy those people. And we say, I wish I could do that. When in fact, we say, what, what's my talent? What's my ability? How do I contribute to the overall whole? So just as we were born naturally with gifts and abilities and talents, we are born again with supernatural gifts, supernatural abilities, supernatural talents, enablements, if you will. And these, we'll call them spiritual gifts, these are for spiritual purposes. And the paramount spiritual purpose is the building up of the body of Christ. So spiritual gifts really are spiritual abilities. And all of us have them, and they're different. If you read over in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, there are different gifts, and there's different workings of those gifts. There's varieties of gifts. Not everybody who has the gift of evangelism has the identical gift. It's a, it's a gift that has lots of different shades of, of expression and work and power and such. Gift of teaching, but there's lots of different shades of, of how that gift is expressed across the breadth of the body. But we have them. We all have them. If you will, just, just look at some representative. Turn to Romans chapter, three, uh, chapter 12, if you will. <coughs> I 
Paul writes about these in Romans and Corinthians and Ephesians, the passage we read earlier in Ephesians. He says in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, he says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given you. Now he lays down a principle there. Think of yourself soberly. I mean, look at your life. Evaluate uh, rightly and soberly. Don't be a legend in your own mind and that sort of thing, you know. <laughs> and then he, he takes that principle and he applies it to the reality of who we are. He says, just as each of us has one body with many members, and he uses the metaphor of a body, a human body, many members, lots of different parts of the body. He says, and these members do not all have the same function. The foot doesn't have the same function as the ear. These parts all differ. He says, so in Christ... Now, he transitions using the same metaphor. He says, in Christ, as Christians, believing in Christ, we who are many form one body. And each member, notice this, belongs to all the others. You belong to me, I belong to you. Well, who do you think you are getting messing around in my life? You belong to me. What do you mean I belong to you? Says it right there. I have every right to mess around in your life. <laughs> See, because what affects you affects me. What affects us affects the whole. We've got to be working. We've got to be involved in each other's lives, right? So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts, he says according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. And if you look at the first phrase, first sentence of verse 9, Love must be sincere. The idea there is that these gifts are to function in an environment of love. Love is always somewhere lurking around wherever there's a discussion of spiritual gifts. Turn to 1 Corinthians real quickly. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. And by the way, these, these gifts, I don't believe that they're definitive lists. I think they're representative lists. They give us an idea of some of the things that people were most familiar with. But I think there's varieties of expressions and even things that aren't even listed in the gifts, in the list. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, he says, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Manifest what in the world is that? Well, he's going to explain it. He says, To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, the ability to speak in different kinds of tongues. And still, to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these, all these gifts, all these representative gifts, he says, are the work of one and the same Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. 
You don't line up and say, I want this gift, I want that gift. No, just like when you were born with certain talents and abilities, you didn't ask for them, this is what you were assigned. Goes to the package. When you're born again, these are the gifts you get. It's up to you to begin to step out and serve and begin to realize what those giftings are. The Spirit gives them. He made you. He knows what He wants to do in you and through you. He knows where you fit. He goes on in verse 12 and he says, The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts. We've heard that, right? And though all of its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. We who are all baptized by one spirit into one body, doesn't matter where you came from, doesn't matter if you're Jewish or Greek, slave or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. And then the Ephesians passage, we read that, it says basically the same thing using different words. So gifts, gifts such as these, will be in evidence in any church, in any Christian community, where the Spirit of grace has poured out in that community, acceptance, openness, honesty, giving, and serving. You'll see gifts. And if you just look at our congregation, uh, you see these gifts manifested in all different environments. All you have to do is look at our bulletin and the listing and see the hundreds and hundreds of people that are involved exercising their gifting in all the varieties of ministries that God has birthed in our midst. Now, if there is genuine grace in the fellowship, this is important to note, If there is genuine grace in the fellowship, there will be the genuine exercising of spiritual gifts. People will just very naturally, or may I say supernaturally, step up and begin to minister, and they'll want to because there's an environment that enables that to occur. This is why we want to be in an environment that continues, continues to be open and honest, continue to... We want to be open so that people can exercise their giftings. We want to see spiritual gifts functioning. So there'll be the genuine exercise of spiritual gifts because grace leads to gifts. Very simply, grace leads to gifts. And the result is the building up now of the church. Now note this. And the result of the building up of the church is more, what do you think? More, more grace. More grace. We'll be delirious with grace. I'm reminded of of the picture back in the Old Testament when the glory of God was in the temple and the priests couldn't even stand up under it. What a marvelous picture. The grace of God be so palpable, so powerful. I mean, you have to crawl into church. The grace is so heavy on us. What a picture, huh? People, you just, you just, you can't hardly not be with each other because what God's doing in your life and the other person's life. Now, if grace is not in the fellowship, If there isn't genuine grace there, then there's two things to consider. First of all, the gifts will have no opportunity to grow. Where there's no grace, 
There's not going to be any true, genuine spiritual gifting in evidence. And secondly, if gifts do appear, they'll usually be abused. They will usually be abused and they will fail in their purpose of ministering grace. They'll just fail miserably. So we want to remember that spiritual gifts are an expression of God's grace to the church so that there be more grace in the church. Romans chapter 12, verse 6, we have different gifts according to the grace given us. 1 Corinthians 12, 11, the Spirit gives to each one just as he determines. Ephesians 4, 11, he, meaning Christ, gave to the church gifted people. Now, the Greek word for grace, anybody know the Greek word for grace? Close. The Greek word for grace, charis. Charis, we transliterate it, C-H-A-R-I-S, charis. Now, the Greek word for gift of grace is charisma. (laughs) So you have charis and charisma, all right? So grace is charis, the gift of grace is Charisma. You've heard of charismatic person, charisma, charismatic personality, the charismatic movement. The emphasis there is always on some special gift, ability, and so forth. That's where we get the word charismatic from. So charisma, charisma refers to something that springs from grace. Its root word is the word for grace. It springs from grace. Charisma is a grace thing, if I can say it that way. It's a grace thing, not something earned. It's not something we qualify for, if you will. It's a free gift. It's a gift of grace. Now, in what sense, then, is God expressing his grace to the church when he bestows these gifts? In other words, what do these gifts actually do? What's their purpose? Well, it's threefold. You see God's grace in in these three arenas. First of all, now, remember that God's grace does much, much more than merely accept the undeserving. Does much, much more than that. God's grace, because he is who he is, he keeps on showering keeps on pouring out his kindness upon kindness upon kindness upon those who do not deserve it. Is that not good news? He keeps giving to those who don't deserve it out of his bounty. That just blows my mind. That's totally not like me. I mean, you've got to deserve it, right? I mean, I'll go with you a little while, but if you don't straighten up flyer. I'm going to stop giving. Is anybody else like that, like me? Aren't you glad that God's not like us? He's trying to make us like him, isn't he? So you have to see that he is, by his very nature, gracious. He, he doesn't just save us. He keeps pouring out his grace. Grace upon grace upon grace. It is the nature of grace to do this. I had somebody come up to me and say to me, Nah, I hear all this grace stuff I hear about this, you know, that I don't know. I don't feel like he's 
pouring out his bounty, his kindnesses on me. I said, oh, my, really? I said, may I ask you a couple of questions? I said, you're breathing? Yes. Do you have good health? Yes. Do you have family? Yes. Any friends? Yes. Do you have a job? Yes. Do you have a decent running car? Yes. Do you have a roof over your head? Yes. Where do you live? Manhattan Beach. <laughs> he just, yeah, yeah, we take so much for granted. We don't deserve anything. Beloved, God not only accepts us, but he gives us these marvelous, marvelous, special gifts. And these gifts, first of all, there's three things about these gifts, what they do. These gifts meet deep individual needs in our life. Would you agree that all of us have real needs? Do we need help in this process of growing in grace ourselves? Do we need help in our life, growing up, maturing? These gifts meet those needs. They help in that process. Let me give you some examples. How many have ever just kind of needed a word of encouragement along the way? I mean, you know, you're, you're struggling, you're, you're, you're kind of down, and things have gotten weighing you down, and, and, and you know, you just, you just needed a word of encouragement. And someone just comes walking along, you know, dumbing along like we do, and just says something to you, just not realizing it. They're just saying something to you. And you go, oh, that was just what I needed to hear. <laughs> now they don't come and say, I want to encourage you, brother. <laughs> you know how we do real spiritual life? We get real spiritual. Brother, I want to encourage you. Listen to me. <laughs> I just cracked his neck. Did you hear that, Brian? I just did a good job. No, it, it just, it's a gift. Whether we are aware that we're doing it or not, sometimes God just uses us without his, us being aware of it. Not all the time, but sometimes just your presence is encouraging to somebody. You have this ability, you have this charisma about you that, that they just see you coming and they're encouraged. And we all have people like in, our life, in our life like that, don't we? And we have people that we don't want to see coming. <laughs> How many of us at some point have needed just a, a simple helping hand? And just, just at the minute, just at the moment where you need some help, someone comes along and just is able to help. It has just what you need to help. You go, wow. Or how about, how about just a listening ear? Just someone who sit down, put duct tape over their mouth, <laughs> and just listen. Not interrupt. Not complete your thought. Not say, yeah, but. 
or roll their eyes. <laughs> Someone who just listens. And just, just when you need it, God brings somebody who just listen. And you and you can you can process. You just talk, you know. And, and most of the times, you know, you just got to talk things out. Things all of a sudden kind of just fall in place. You just need somebody to talk at, and they go, mm, 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 mm. That's all I want, right? Or an act of hospitality. You you just need you need you need a place. Some food, something. Any of us ever needed a word of rebuke? <laughs> yeah, all right. We're not exactly looking for it, but we need it. <laughs> and, you know, someone comes along and says, you know, I, I need to say something to you. And you go, oh. But you walk away and you go, I needed that. I'm glad somebody finally told me. These are, these are evidences of the workings of the giftings of God in, in people's lives. And we can go on and on and on. A, a word of exhortation, a challenge, some solid biblical teaching. A lot of times people are confused. They're, they're not studying their Bibles. They don't understand what's right and, and what way to go. And, 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 and so someone comes along and opens up the Word and says, you know what, it, it says right here, look at this. And they explain something to you. And you go, oh. And all of a sudden, all the confusion is cleared up. Now you have a way to go. So the gifts meet very real individual needs in this process of growing in grace for all of us. But the grace, the gifts also not only meet individual needs, they, need, they meet the needs of the entire body, corporately. We're not, though we are individuals, we are not individualistic. There's a difference. Individualistically living, set apart, doing our own thing. No, no, no. We're all part of the body. We're individuals, but we together fit together. And it's only because we function as a body that the various needs do get met. There is no one single person that can meet all my needs. My wife tries. <laughs> Super Julie. As hard as she tries, she's still not yet able to meet all of my needs. Different people meet different needs. Isn't that true? In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 21, Paul says this, The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Here's the eye and here's the hand. I, can't, I don't need you. No, the eye does need that, 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 that body, that part of the body. The head cannot say to the foot, I don't need you. The head does need the foot. The principle applies to us. So every member contributes something, and every member is needed. Remember what he said in Romans chapter 12. He said we all belong to each other. We're all interconnected. We're all interdependent. We're all part of the body. And the body does have hundreds and hundreds of needs, doesn't it? I mean, there isn't a single person in this room that doesn't have needs. But those needs get met in this process of grace being expressed in all the environs wherein we fellowship. 
No member ever, be that member ever so gifted, uh, can meet every need. We need everybody. All of us are critical to this process. So we each contribute something to the body, and then the whole body grows. The whole body is built up as we're all participating. But the gifts are, and this is the third thing I want to talk to you about, the gifts are more than just instruments to meet our needs individually and corporately. They also confer, I think, an incredible honor on us. Think about this for a moment. They are God's way of carrying on his work. They're God's way of carrying on his work. When you are born again, you become a member of the body of Christ. We saw that again in, in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, that by one spirit we're baptized into, we're immersed into, we're made one with Christ. We're part of the body of Christ. God doesn't just merely save us and then shelve us. He saves us and he says, all right, you're part of the body, let's go to work. Let's get involved. And see, most of us would hold back. Most, well, I'm not sure, I'm not sure, I'm not sure. Well, that's understandable. But understand that God wants to, wants to use us. He wants to get us moving now in that process of growing in grace. He wants to work in us and through us to carry out his purposes on this earth, in this world, amongst men. When Jesus lived on this earth, God with us, God in human flesh, located in one body, located in one body, came to reveal God's love to men, didn't he? And now, now he indwells the church, continuing his work as he, as he works in us through us. That's why he, I think Jesus said to his disciples, he said, you will do greater things, greater in number, greater in magnitude, why? Because now it's the church universal around the world indwelt by his spirit. We are his hands. We're his feet. We're his ears. We're his eyes. We're his mouth. We are all aspects of his body. And all together, we do the will of the head. Beloved, you are indispensable. Let me say that again. You are indispensable. You're indispensable to the overall functioning of the body of Christ. This is what God's grace has done for us. God, in pouring out his gifts upon the church, meets individual needs, meets corporate needs, but more than that, confers this terrific honor on us of being his very body to minister his grace in this world. Isn't that exciting? So if you're a Christian, if you're really a Christian, and you say, well, you know, I, I, I'm not sure exactly what I'm supposed to aim at. This is what we aim at. This is where we're going. This is what we are. People who are accepted and accepting. None of us are perfect at it, but we're in that process, are we not? People who are, are learning to what it means to be open and honest. People who are learning what it means to be giving and serving. People who are learning to, to exhibit and, and, and exercise their gifting. And people who are learning to appreciate fellowship, appreciate one another. 
The church is an incredible, incredible organism. It's a miracle, the church. And we need to celebrate it. Our goal is that we be an environment where God's grace dwells, His Spirit dwells abundantly. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Now next time we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit more about how these gifts are awakened in us and indeed how they function.